two-week notice podcast. Yo, yo, what up, everyone? You are listening to the two-week notice podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. Come on. And today, we have an awesome episode for you, all right? So on the podcast, today's guest is the one and only Alex Garcia Rivera. Now, Alex is a legendary drummer in the scene. Most notably, he plays drums in American Nightmare. I first heard of him way back in the day when he played drums in Piebald. However, he's played in many bands in the scene. He's been doing it for over 30 years. I will save that for our actual conversation, okay? But before we get to that, I definitely got to recap this weekend real quick because I got to do a show with my Piebald brothers and not just a show, a very special festival, Sticks and Stones Fest, okay? Newfound Glory put on this really rad festival in Worcester, Massachusetts at the Palladium Outdoors, which holds about eight thousand people i'll just name the bands real quick newfound glory four years strong bayside pieball the movie life a loss for words be well action adventure cliff diver spaced five ever and i think that's all of them i hope that's all of them it was so rad i'm sincerely a fan of these bands now alumni two-week notice podcast alumni i had to write down the amount of people who have been on this podcast that were performing at this show. Are you ready? So you got the four guys in Piebald, obviously. They've been on the show. Brian McTurnan, Mike Schleibaum, both of those guys are in Be Well. Vinny Caruana of The Movie Life. Jack O'Shea of Bayside. Cyrus Baluki, Newfound Glory. Dan O'Connor and Jake Masuko of Four Years Strong. Those guys, all of them have been on the podcast. Also, I ran into Brandon Davis there. Uh, Brandon Davis was on the show very recently, just a few episodes back. He's a Massachusetts Boston staple. He's been in a million... Uh, not a million bands, but enough bands, all right? Go back and listen to all those episodes because they're pretty awesome. Also, John LaCroix, who played guitar and bass in Ten Yard Fight. He was taking photographs for Piebald. He's coming on the show this week. All right, so stay tuned for that episode. That'll be a good one. Uh, We were selling merch next to Cliff Diver. I've been talking to them for, geez, we spoke a couple months back about getting them on the podcast. Maddie from A Loss for Words is going to come on the show. So, you know, I probably should have done a better job of talking up the show at the merch table. I was handing out pins and stuff, but I don't know. I was just, I don't know. I'm bad at talking up my own show, like in those moments, but I, I, I don't know whatever it is what it is thanks for listening <laughs> uh, i gotta give a shout out to the furnace fest fam some people from the furnace fest facebook group showed up and it was super radical it's always really wonderful to run into those people and big shout out to adam adam harris for helping me behind the merch table dude you stayed way longer than i needed you to but you were super helpful i mean i definitely needed some help and it was awesome but i don't know i just felt guilty because you didn't even i know you're listening adam i love you you didn't even get to like fucking see many bands dude i wanted you to like go and have fun i don't know you busted your ass so i had to definitely split the tips with you but i don't know dude you should have went out and saw more bands but i appreciate you man and we had an awesome uh hangout session after the show but i love you adam and i love you to the furnace fest people um that was really cool what else i don't know dude we got a couple of sponsors all right the newest two-week notice podcast sponsor downy cider kid downy cider Oh, yeah. What's this one? Blackberry. Oh, that's really good, actually. That's delicious. Downey's Cider. Downey's Hard Cider. Straight out of Boston. All right. Listen to me. This is the number one hard cider in New England and the number two hard cider in the United States of America. Let's get that up to number one. What's number one? I don't know. Angry Orchard? That's some bullshit. That's just a guess. I don't know. It probably is, but this is where it's at. Downey's Hard Cider. They have all sorts of flavors. There's a hard lemonade one that's delicious. They have a mimosa flavor that's really good. They have like a double brew where it's just like, it tastes like the regular one, but it it's way you know double the strength watch out for that one people so shout out to them go check out the tap room or just buy it at a local store near you also the two-week notice podcast is proudly brought to you by www.plugyourholes.com plug your holes is your one-stop shop for body piercings plugs tunnels stretchers gauges and more okay so if you have body piercings all that shit go to www.plugyourholes.com plugyourholes.com pick out all the shit you need and at the checkout point for a 15% discount type in the code TWNPOD 
All right, six letters, smush it all together, no spaces, TWN pod for a 15% discount in the promo code section at the checkout. That's www.plugyourholes.com. And last but not least, speaking of Furnace Fest, all right, this is coming up really quick, quicker than I even realized, all right? September 23rd, 24th, and 25th. This is in Birmingham, Alabama at the Sloss Furnaces. This was the most ultimate festival last year, and it will be again this year. The headliners are Thrice, Newfound Glory, Alexis on Fire, Sunny Day Real Estate, Manchester Orchestra, The Ghost Inside, Mastodon, Descendants, The Story So Far, Avail, American Nightmare, In Flames, Elliot, Blindside, Poison the Well, Quicksand, Shadows Fall, Midtown. In addition to that, there's Anti-Flag, Comeback Kid, Pedro the Lion, Mom Jeans, Four Years Strong, Advent, Stretch Armstrong, The Spill Canvas, The Red Cord, Misery Signals, Mock Orange, Hidden in Blame View, Idle Threat, Bleeding Through, Cursive, and so many more. Okay? So, here's the deal. There's over 100 bands. This is so ultimate. Now, if you have not gotten your tickets already, all the links to everything I'm plugging, including tickets to Furnace Fest, will be in the description of this podcast episode. Don't miss out. What else, people? Man, Sticks and Stones was so rad. You know, I just... Wow, what an awesome time. It was funny. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, I posted something. I bought 69 beach balls from Target. I literally bought every single beach ball that they had in stock and it happened to be 69 beach balls. And my goal was to get them all blown up and throw them all out into the crowd during pie balls. But like, dude, they were so hard to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> so I just started handing them out to people. I was like, I can't do this. Plus, I was busy, you know, setting up merch and selling merch. It was just like, I can't fucking do this shit. Dude. So I started handing them out. and We got most of them blown up. I don't know. Maybe I had a couple of dozen to throw out into the crowd or something. But other people had, you know, once I delegated it, people blew them up. And it was a hit. It was a blast. And uh, but every time, you know, prior to I was walking by the because Piebald opened up the main stage. They were the first band on the main stage. So like I kept walking by bouncing back and forth between the merch table and backstage and just kind of running around. And But every time I ran by, I would have a beach ball like in my mouth trying to blow the thing up. <laughs> and I kept running by like the Piebald guys while they were chatting with Brian McTernan and they were all just busting my ball. <laughs> <laughs> just watching me suffer giving me a hard time it was a blast and uh mike schleibaum who was just on the podcast like two episodes ago he was sitting at b wells merch table right next to us trying to dude he was he was also busting balls and then like he took one of those beach balls and started to blow it up and he was just like oh man this is really fucking he was like this is really hard man <laughs> so that was a blast uh, anyway let's get to the episode my friends and um i got some exciting things coming up for you in the near future all right so this week Week, I'm talking to Chase from Joyce Manor. I'm talking to John LaCroix of Ten Yard Fight. As I had mentioned, we got Eric from Mom Jeans coming on soon. I'm going to be down in Florida next week. Uh, for the next couple of weeks. So uh, you might hear from me. There's a good chance you'll hear me, you know, doing these intros and outros from Florida. So to be continued on that, Alex, thank you so much. Enjoy. Well, you came to kick ass and to take names. You got sick of taking names. Today on the podcast, this is a big honor, man. Alex Garcia Rivera. Now, you have quite the extensive resume. I'm going to attempt to, to read it off, okay? Okay. Most notably and currently, of course, American Nightmare. Right. However, you've also played in Piebald, Saves a Day, Shelter, Blood Horse, Cold Cave, Good Clean Fun, Give Up the Ghost, of course, 454 Big Block. You have a solo project, Chrome Over Brass. You are the owner and operator of Mystic Valley Studio, where you are a recording engineer and producer, and you've been a drum tech for countless bands. I'm not going to go down that list. <laughs> yeah, too many. <laughs> what did I miss? Um, I, even I lose track sometimes. I don't know. I, you, you maybe missed Get High. Um, and then uh, Kingpin, which was my first like band that really did anything. But yeah, I don't know. You got most of it. What a resume, man. <laughs> uh, you're a legend and a staple in, in the scene, dude. I mean, I first heard of you through Piebald, of course. Right. right. But let's go back, man. Uh, are you in Boston? I'm in, well, Medford, just north of Boston. Medford, dude. Medford, yeah. Medford, kid. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in Lynn, so we're, we're close oh, cool. to one another. I opened up or helped open up the Kelly's Roast Beef in Medford. That was like, what, Wellington Station? Uh, yeah, I know that one. There's a whole bunch of stuff there now. I don't even know anymore. Andy lives in Medford. You guys are neighbors. Andrew yeah, Potter. he jogs by my house 
house every so often. And uh, we actually run into each other a lot. Actually, um, I had to move the console in my studio and he was jogging by one day and I was like, dude, um, I can actually use your help. Like, can I hit you up? And um, uh, he stopped by with his dad, who I probably hadn't seen since, I don't know, when I played in Pieball. So like over 20 years ago or something. Um, I got to say, his dad looked amazing. He looked like he never aged or something. Mr. Um, but yeah, yeah, they, they uh, helped me move move the console in the That's studio. Awesome. Mm-hmm. What a gentleman and a great friend. Yeah. Andy looks great too, man. He's been crushing it, dude. Yeah. He looks better than ever, maybe. Right? Dude, he's a stud, man. No, no yeah. booze in I don't know how long. And yeah, he's been running. He and I met up a couple weeks ago. Def Evan was playing at the Royale. Yeah. Their bassist is our front house guy now for Pieball. So he put us on the list and I was like, hey, dude, I'll meet you at the Royale. He's like, yeah, dude, yeah. I'm just I'm running there. And he like showed up in like his it's like raining out. So he had all his like rain gear. And uh, I don't know, dude, he's he's just crushing it, man. I'm proud of him. You know, right. He's not even Good doing caffeine. I was I, picking I him caffeine up. Too. Really? Uh, yeah, I've been caffeine free for maybe 15 years now or something. Dude, I, I picked him up for a tour. I fucked up, mm-hmm. man. This was like it was on the way to Furnace Fest last year. Okay. And uh, I was like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to stop at Dunks. You want anything? He was like, yeah, decaf iced coffee or, or whatever it was. I forgot the decaf part, like the most important oh, no. part. <laughs> he got all like wired. <laughs> I drugged him, basically. I drugged Andy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy. Having been away from caffeine for so long, like when I do have a little bit and it's not ever like coffee for me, but um, if I have a piece of chocolate or something, that will send me to the moon. It's like insane. But I mean, I love coffee. I love the smell of it. Taste like chocolate also, you know, but um, yeah, I just don't, don't do that stuff, man. (laughs) I think it's been about 15 years and then I had a little like relapse sort of thing, probably around the five year mark or something like that, just for a bit. So, you know, coffee's great. You know, <laughs> so I did that, but I, I definitely feel better without it. It's like the high from it is cool, but like the crashing and like the headaches, like when you don't have it on your same schedule all the time, like I just couldn't deal with that anymore. And uh, I found myself having more like long-term energy without it. Now that I'm used to it, it's great. I would, I would hate to be addicted to anything. Dude, I am definitely a caffeine guy i don't know i like to indulge i'm drinking a beer right now okay. you know i'm having a water i almost got a whiskey but i was like i don't know if i want to be that guy drinking whiskey on the podcast have at it man well if we talk long enough i might switch over <laughs> well going back to you alex are you originally from bedford no not at all uh, i grew up in holliston massachusetts which is not too far from boston it's the town next to where they start the boston marathon so yeah not that far away and i grew up like going into the city for shows and stuff like that as a teenager and I don't know moved to Alston when I was like you know old enough to live on my own or whatever out of high school kind of vibe uh no I think I was probably 19 actually my first place was uh like Symphony Hall area uh St. Stephen Street there used to be this punk house there or a hard hardcore house I guess to be more specific a room opened up there so I, I nabbed it and it was like dirt cheap I feel like it was maybe 180 bucks a month to live in Back Bay yeah that was fun then yeah I moved and I've lived in Mission Hill and Lower Alston, Upper Alston. My wife and I moved to California together before we got married. Lived out in uh, Oakland and Berkeley for a couple of years. And then we actually lived in an RV. We got married in Vegas, um, moved into an RV and drove all around the country. I was kind of between bands at the time, yet had just come off a bunch of tours that like paid pretty well. So we just kind of coasted off of that savings for a bit, ended up back in Boston. And that's when I joined American Nightmare. And so we just kind of have stayed around here since then. What year are we talking? I mean, that was 2002 when we came back here. And we lived in this like crazy punk house in Alston with like, I don't know, 10 other people that were all in bands and stuff. We would practice in the basement and uh, I think Caven practiced there a bit. Hope Conspiracy jammed there like every week or something. Um, so it was like this like awesome like community of like hardcore kids, you know. But then when we wanted to kind of get our own place or something, we ended up looking for houses and the closest to there that we can afford um, was Medford. And I didn't know shit about Medford before moving here. But now I love it. I love living here. <laughs> we just love the neighborhood because like it is like a suburban almost neighborhood 
neighborhood. Like we have a backyard and we're friends with all our neighbors. There's um, the Mystic River at the end of our street. I canoe there all the time. We have like a Whole Foods around the corner. And like, I don't know, I guess that might mean something different in modern times, but like being a lifelong vegan who likes to eat nice foods, like that was a big plus for moving here. Everything's walkable. I ride my bike a lot and you can't get that in the suburbs. And I don't know, even like sometimes I fantasize about living in LA because half my band lives out there or even New York or something. But in recent years, I, I haven't really been feeling it. I, every time I went to LA, I always felt like, oh, I want to live here. Like I should make this happen. Or even New York when I was younger seemed like really appealing, but um, just less so now. Maybe just because I've become kind of rooted here and like we put an addition on the house and I'm in the middle of expanding the studio and everything. Probably just fucking die here. You, know? <laughs> you said there were a couple houses you lived in like Alston and Boston and stuff with, with band people. Yeah. Can we talk I about mean, that for a minute? Like who, who uh, were you uh, like roommates? Create Calumet was another one. Like that was the Mission Hill house and tenured fight dudes there. And that's where I met Luke actually around that time and uh, at Mission Hill there. And uh, yeah, he became a close friend of mine. Cool. I mean, they all did, but like he's a close friend of yours that we have in common. And I was psyched when he uh, came into the fold with Piebald. It's funny, when I was living in California, I think it was Aaron that called me. Because the band had broken up, and I, I thought permanently. Then I moved. And then, yeah, I think it was him that called. I was like, yeah, we're kind of getting the band back together. We've been jamming with John, I think he said. But, like, he still can't tour or anything. Like, would you want to do the band? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll totally do it, man. Love to. It'd be great. And he's like, yeah, cool. But I was thinking, oh, yeah, I'll just commute. Like, I'll go to Boston whenever we need to. So I was sort of used to working on that level with bands where you could kind of do it remotely. And then, yeah, he called me a couple days later. He's like, yeah, I think we're going to get Luke to do it because he lives here. And like, I was a little bummed out, but then I was like, that makes total sense. Like, yeah, of course, Luke. <laughs> he's like my hero, man. Like, he's just so smart. We, we yeah. got this new thing. Like, what would Luke Garrow do? It's like a new phrase <laughs> we've been texting back and forth. I have a question. Going back to being in a band remotely, you're talking 20 years ago. Yeah. Obviously, now that normal there are some bands who have made records now that have never even been in the same room with each other these yeah. days right that's more normal what was that like back then compared to now um well i was doing stuff like living in boston and then going to new york for like shelter practices and things like that and um for better than a thousand they were in dc so i'd go to dc and a lot of times i would drive to new york for like a weekend have band practice hang out or like play a show or something and then drive back so like it was all long distance in the sense that we didn't live near each other but there was no like remote zoom stuff or like computer stuff going on it was like we still had to actually be in the same room together to get anything done i don't even think we were mailing tapes of demos or riffs to each other at that point it was just hey i got some riffs come down and jam you know so i mean in the 90s i was so busy doing that stuff like usually playing in multiple bands and it was kind of insane because i was like trying to keep my day job i worked at the gap in the stock room and they would not fire me ever i just had this like golden situation going on i had a great work ethic and i wasn't an idiot <laughs> they appreciated that and they put me in the stock room um i used to be a farmer like, growing up i worked on a farm so i had that like farmer's work mentality so i just crushed it in the stock room i remember they created a position for me called stock room manager so that i can have keys and open the store and stuff so i would do that and be like oh i've got a tour coming up i remember my first tour after you know being employed there and i was like oh like going on tour i guess i have to quit and i told them about it and they're like well how long is it for and i was like oh, i'll probably be gone for like i don't know six weeks or something and they were like tell us when you get back and we'll put you on the schedule like please come back i was like wow and for a whole decade i did that because they, they didn't want to let me go and um in some years i was gone more than i was home and so I would do shit like work all day, have my drums packed in my car. I had a Bronco 2. It could fit my drums in the back. And then um, I would finish work early because the workday started at 5 a.m. So I'd leave at 2 p.m. Hop in my car, drive to New York, sometimes play a show or like have a band practice or something. Back, I remember a lot of times, I must have done weekday stuff or weeknight stuff. I think I would drive and do like, you know, recording or photo shoot even for some stuff or just something where I had to be down there. Band practice and then 
drive back without sleeping. And these were the days where I was just pounding coffee. So, and I was much younger, so I could do that. I would drive back and just lay on top of my drums, get like a one hour nap or something, and then just work for a day and go home and crash out afterwards. That was what, 20 years ago? Yeah, it was like 1995 or something like that. In the 90s. You must hit burnout at some points. Maybe it's rare. How do you bounce back from that or how do you handle that? I don't know as I have burned out. I'm a pretty motivated guy for stuff. And I mean, having kids changed pretty much every single thing in my life. But uh, if I can kind of generalize about most of my life, if you're talking about like the music stuff, like from like day one playing the drums, I was very driven to be good at it. And I used to practice all the time, every free second. Like I wasn't even that social of a kid. I would go home and play my drums, work at the farm, you know, <laughs> like it kind of consumed my life and took over. And um, it was all I wanted to do. And then when I started touring, I never wanted to stop touring. I just was like, this is the life for me. I found it. Like, I, you know, when you first start playing music, I don't think anyone is like, oh yeah, I'm going to become a professional musician. Or like, even back then, it was inconceivable that I would play a show at a venue. You know, I was like, oh, my uh, friends come over and we jam in the basement and it's awesome. And like, it'd be great if we had a show someday, somewhere, you know, and then you play a show and you're like, wow, that was awesome. Like, it'd be awesome to do this like every day for like months. And and I remember just watching bands load in and load out. And it's like, they, they come in, they play a show, they load up their van and then they're just like off. And it just seemed so romantic to me, you know? And I wanted a part of that. And so not that I worked real hard to make that happen, but I kind of did. You know, my my band didn't suck. And so we played shows and we had fans. And then really what kind of kicked it off was uh, Shelter asking me to join them. That was the first band that like weren't my friends from my hometown that asked me to play with them. What year was this? This was 92, I think. And um, my first band, Kingpin, had just broken up. And it felt like an eternity, but it was probably only like two months later. Shelter asked me to join their band. But uh, it was a weird time in my life. And I talk about this a lot where um, it was a big turning point for me. I was kind of just like floating around, working at the farm. I got a like first apartment in Framingham, which was halfway from my hometown to Boston. So like not quite the city, but I got out of my mom's house. So I, I was taking some courses at Dean Junior College. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to go to college. I'll just go to college. And I didn't really even apply anywhere. I applied to Berkeley, just like, it's like I love music. I'll apply to Berkeley. And then uh, Dean Junior College. I obviously didn't get into Berkeley and did get into Dean. It, it, college wasn't that expensive back then because I paid for it with the farm money and like a small loan. I think I had like a $5,000 loan that took an eternity to pay off. It's like 50 bucks a month forever, it seemed. Um, and that was a lot of money to me back then because I was like, you know, a broke musician. Yeah, man. But anyways, um, yeah, Shelter asked me to join and I did. And then I just kept saying yes to everything. And, you know, I think at some point people are like, if you need someone to play drums for you, ask Al, he'll do it. You know, he'll say yes. And um, so I started playing in all these bands and like just staying on tour because that's what I wanted to do. And I was really driven towards it. And I never got burnt out. And I just loved it. And I I remember this one point where I was loading out of uh, Twisters in Richmond, Virginia, 454 Big Block show there. And you loaded in and out in the back. And there was like a little alley. And we had a van and a trailer. And I was loading in the trailer. And I must have told the guys that I would load it or whatever. Because I remember being alone back there. And just loading the gear. And being really happy. And like looking up at the stars. And it was like a summer night. I'm like, man, I fucking love my life. I am glad I didn't go to college. Like, cause I stopped going, like didn't even last the full year. <laughs> and I was like, if I love loading out of like a club by myself in the middle of the night, if I love this part of it, I love everything about it. And so I was pretty driven to just stay that way. And I never really burnt out. And then once I got into recording, I was just so hungry to learn about it and to record as many styles as I could and different bands. And like, you know, you want like bigger bands and better bands. And and I feel like I'm still very driven for that. And with all the gear in the studio, like I want it to be the best. And a lot of it is vintage gear and it's all analog studio. It's like tape machines and consoles and actual gear. And I keep modding stuff and modding stuff. And, you know, it's like saying something is the best. It's like, that's not a real thing because what I think is the best, someone else might not. But I, I want it to be my version of the best. 
and I work really fucking hard for that. Like that's the stuff that keeps me up late at night, soldering stuff and, and doing all that. Or like working on a mix after the kids go to bed and I'll stay up till three in the morning doing that because I want it to be great. I'm still waiting to burn out. I'm still like hungry for all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful, man. What I got out of what you just said, man, is you found at an early age what it is you love in life and also figured out how to turn that into your career, so to speak. Right. Right. I mean, that's maybe quotes. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, for lack of better words, I mean, you, you just do exactly what you love. Do you come from a family of musicians? Yes and no. No professional musicians. I recently learned that there's actually like a well-known, uh, I mean, not to me, obviously, but a well-known Cuban drummer that's, uh, I don't know, like a distant cousin of mine or something. I mean, this is like in the, I think the 1950s. And I think he studied with the same drum teacher that Buddy Rich studied for uh, with or something. There's, I mean, I might be totally fucking up the details, but like, look him up. I, I've got a, um, I don't know, another distant cousin that's maybe, I want to say, 10 years older than me. This is kind of interesting, I, I think. Uh, I had grown up hearing about this guy. My grandmother would tell me, Alex, uh, there's another musician in the family. Victor, Victor Garcia Rivera. And um, I had only known my grandparents to listen to Cuban music and classical music. And they were like praising this dude. And so I was like, oh, he's like a classical musician or something. And that was so uninteresting to me as a 12 year old or whatever. I just always like heard the name and remembered him and whatever. And then like decades later, enter Facebook and whatnot, I get a friend request from uh, Victor Garcia Rivera. And I'm like, that can't be cousin Victor, the musician. And so I click on it. And one of the first things I see is like him posting something about uh, his like Ramones cover band or something. And I was like, what? Like, Get out of here. And I look a little further and I'm like, yeah, he was like first generation punk rocker. Wow. Like his band opened for The Clash or something. And uh, they had like a video that was probably in small rotation, but like was on MTV or something. And so like we're in touch every so often. Wow. It's just like fucking cool. Because I grew up kind of thinking like, my love for music and everything just kind of came out of nowhere. My mom used to blast like 70s disco from like the station wagon. And I was like, oh, I think my mom loved like dancey stuff. Maybe I get it from her. But then, yeah, my father's side, uh, who I'm not really in touch with at all and never really have been. They've been kind of a mystery. Um, but it turns out there are some musicians and artists there too. Garcia Rivera, Cuban descent. Yeah. As well as okay. what else, man? A half Cuban and then on my mom's side, French Canadian. But it's funny, I grew up really having some strong connection with like the Cuban side of me, um, even though my, my dad left when I was five. But when we were real young, we spent a lot of time at his parents' house. And I've got these awesome memories of these like big like Cuban meals that my grandmother would make and, and the music and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, my mom was just like, uh, you know, French Canadian, like her parents were like, pretty like plain like my, her dad was a barber in the town barber shop and stuff so like there was that but then all this like exciting stuff on my dad's side so i really connected with that with being half cuban so dude shelter recruits you in 92 yeah. mm -hmm. when i joined shelter it was like kind of short notice and i knew all the songs already except their brand new album that had just come out attaining the supreme so i had to learn those but um uh, i had to drop everything and just head down to i think they were living in uh philly at the time at the philly temple went there had a few rehearsals and then we were off to europe for i want to say it was like two and a half months or something it was a big one. Oh shit first time in europe that was my first time in europe i was like 19 wow yeah as a 19 year old you feel like you're an adult and like you're just <laughs> like that it's not that special I'm like oh yeah i play in bands and this band i knew needed a drummer they asked me great makes sense you know but like looking back and like especially now seeing 19 year olds as a 40 eight-year-old like wow man how fucking cool was that that just like everything i ever wanted just got handed to me like here you're in a big band now they tour they have fans like awesome dudes it was pretty special at that age any 19 year old is still a kid right especially like you say you're 48 i'm 36 but even still i look back to when i was 20 i'm like i was a fucking kid i thought i was this adult but i was a kid you know yeah yeah at the same time you do definitely mature and gain some wisdom i feel like going through something like that because i didn't go to europe till i was 33 man you right, know i just right. feel like this this something that you get under your belt some sort of wisdom right i mean there there 
There is for sure. And one thing a lot of people don't realize unless you're out there doing it is that if you're a musician, that's not like in a huge band on a tour bus and like hotels, like if you're like a regular working musician and you're on tour, you are a homeless person. If you're at a smaller level, you might show up at a venue, you load in and do sound check, and then you've got hours to kill. You can't just go to the hotel because you're not getting one, can't afford it. You haven't met any of the people yet going to the show to ask for a place to stay or any of that. So you are just let loose on whatever town you're in, walking around, being homeless, you know? <laughs> and like, I have a lot of like fun memories of touring with Get High because we did it on such a shoestring budget or like no budget, you know? But like, we were like hungry for it and we toured it a lot and like we toured like homeless people. And I remember just like sleeping on beaches or like parks, rest stops. I remember being in a rest stop. Someone was sleeping under the van someone was sleeping on top of the van and some people were sleeping in the van <laughs> can we talk about when you joined piebald yeah that had a lot to do with rama mayo 38 calumet or i might have been just crashing there because i literally was homeless for a bit living out of my <laughs> van at the time speaking of which <laughs> but i toured so much i didn't like a place like it didn't make sense I had stuff stored at my mom's house and then uh when I, I remember like sleeping at practice spaces with no windows which was weird and then i would no it was my bronco i still have my bronco they let me like sleep on the couch or like on the floor or in the corner at 38 calumet and then eventually i shared a room rama was one of the guys living there he put out the get high records and also um the 454 Big Block record. I remember him asking me one day, he's like, Alcor. One of my uh, nicknames is Alcor. A lot of people from that era call me. I mean, people still call me that. But anyway, he's like, Alcor, is there any chance you would join Piebald? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, their drummer quit. And I just put out their record. I think they're going to break up if you don't drum for them. And I was like, I mean, don't put that on me, man. But like, I'll check it out. <laughs> and all I knew about Piebald before that moment was... 454 Big Block played a show that they also played and I thought they were terrible. I was like, wait, that band? I mean, this this was like, you know, early Piebald or whatever. Why was it that you thought that initially? Was there a specific moment? Um, I can't really remember. Like, I vividly remember visually what they all looked like and like Travis singing and stuff. I think at the time I was just so into just like true hardcore that I was like, what is this noise and stuff? Like, I don't know. It's like, not that I didn't understand it but it just it wasn't my little sub scene and um the age difference like i became like the older guy growing up i was always the younger guy because i was like doing stuff before other people my age would be doing it you know and then uh around that time like mid 90s i kind of was like oh wait now like all the newer generation of kids are all like six seven eight years younger than me or whatever it was and at that time in your life that's a pretty big gap so like me seeing these like kids play i was like oh this is like their first band like they're not that good but they're not supposed to be or whatever you know but anyways that's what i thought piebald was and then i was like well rama let me hear the, the record that you put out you know i think it was venetian blinds i put it on and i was like oh okay i get it this is cool and i was like all right and like in my mind i was going to jam with them to try them out you know what i mean because <laughs> i was like i don't need to join another band like i'm gonna try it out see if it's a good fit for me but at Dude. the same time like they were trying me out you know in a lot of ways that's how you should go into everything right? i mean yeah unless you like unless you need, need the you situation know, to happen totally but no that's that is the ideal mentality right, right. to go in right but uh go on please but yeah so um i remember they picked me up in the school bus and they were still practicing it Andy's parents' house. And so brought my drums there. We set them up and then just, all right, I listened to the CD enough to learn the songs and just like clicked in and we started playing. And almost immediately I was like, yes, this sounds better than the record. I love this. And like the dudes were just like, cool. Like I think initially Aaron and I really clicked, you know, him being a you know mechanic and stuff. I was like a self-taught mechanic. I used to fix my own uh, cars and my friend's cars and things like that. And so we had a lot to talk about with that. Obviously the other guys are so great that they followed as well. And really they kind of just welcomed me into the fold. And so like, I was like, yeah, let's, 
let's do this and started touring after that and making music together it was pretty awesome i only stopped playing with them because the band broke up and then i moved but um we are still friends you know like i've said this before in other interviews and stuff like pretty much every band that i've been in we've remained friends like i feel like they're family to me like brothers you know a lot of them i don't talk to regularly but like with someone like that in your life you can pick it up at any point and it's like no time has passed like we might even say the same old like tour jokes and stuff but I, I really love having that sort of extended family in my life and that's been a really great part of playing music and, and playing in all the different bands that I've been in I think that speaks to your character man yeah. I think there's something to say about that in my opinion but Alex can you tell me about your time with Saves the Day um, this was just touring right yeah 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 what year or years when the hell was it I think it was right around 2000 to 2002 in 2000 that's when I moved to California it was while I was still living out there and I moved back in 2002 so yeah it was like 2001 2002 I guess when I was in Piebald we toured together with Newfound Glory yes Newfound Glory yeah Nice, man. Yeah, it was an awesome tour. I'd love to hear about that, too. That, that was like a Go good, ahead. like, friends tour. Like, I truly felt like all the members of all three bands became, like, real friends, you know? Even now, like, I haven't talked to any of those guys in quite some time now, but, like, I could see them and pick up the friendship immediately, I think. But, um, yeah, I knew those guys through that tour, and I'd gone to see them play... I think it was in Santa Cruz because, uh, you know, Saves the Day is awesome. I went to go see him play. I think they played there with Hot Rod Circuit. They were another band that I'd become pretty good, like, actual friends with. I miss those guys. I, all these band members involved. I would fucking kill to have, like, just a party where we're all together and just hang out and catch up. <laughs> So yeah, um, went to see them in Santa Cruz and I remember we were hanging out on the bus and chatting with Ted. He was like, yeah, um, I think Damon was playing with them at the time. They're like, yeah, he can't fill in for us for that much longer. There was some reason why like they were going to need a drummer. And then I did a tryout and I didn't have anywhere to play the drums out in California. My drums were just stacked up in the corner of the house we were living at. And somebody let me borrow an electronic drum set, which I set up in the kitchen and I didn't even turn it on. I just used it as like the pads of it and i put headphones on and just played the saves the day songs a bunch of times i mean i was already like a fan so i knew the songs pretty well anyways and, and watching them play every night too because i used to watch all the bands on that tour i knew everything pretty well and so i went there and uh i mean i kind of crushed it on the yeah, tryout because i learned all of their songs on drums not just like ones from the set or from that album or whatever and it was just fun playing with them and i could tell the vibe was pretty good and, and um you know we we're all pretty friendly and everything how long did you tour with them i think it was like three tours or something i remember doing like shows on the west coast and shows on the east coast and a few like one-offs and stuff and then we did the uh that like they call it the pop disaster tour it was blink 182 and green day and yeah. Yeah, and I think Pop Jimmy Punk disaster tour. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, you were on that. That's sick. Yeah, yeah. It was like an arena tour. It's fucking mm -hmm. awesome. Wow. And that was like I fully was like self-aware and like acknowledged like wow I'm doing an arena tour like this is like the best that anyone hopes for and like yeah we were the opening band but like it didn't feel like an opener because I remember we were going on first but as the place was filling up it would be like fucking full by the time our set was through so like we were playing to like a pretty full house. Houses. And my perception was that every single person was singing along. Like you'd look out and people were, everyone knew all the songs. That couldn't have been the reality because like, I don't know if Saves the Day was popular enough to have you know 15,000 people in each city knowing the songs but like it appeared that way it had that that vibe at least like looking out like that's what you saw you know that was really fucking cool and then to play some of the venues that I had gone to see big concerts at as a kid and playing a Madison Square Garden and you know legendary venues you're just like holy shit is this for real Led Zeppelin played here you know that was cool correct me if I'm wrong was that as Stay What You Are was about to come out it had just come out day one we show up and like we're hanging out backstage and like the blink 182 guys like come in and they're just like fucking pranksters like i think we walked into our backstage room and uh tom was on the floor with his pants around his ankles holding a banana and sucking his thumb for i don't know how long just for like a joke you know 
So like, oh, it'll be funny if they walk in and like, here I am doing this, you know. <laughs> and um, everyone was like super like friendly and like fun to hang around. I think the Blink guys and the Green Day guys were kind of like, you know, they each had their own buses per band member. Like they weren't like hanging around the venue all day like we were. But um, when they were around, they were like all of them like just hanging out with us like any other band that is on tour. Like we were like tour buddies, you know, um, which was pretty cool because like. Like, you know, I, I don't get really, um, I don't know, like uh, starstruck or anything. And, and I, I wasn't for them. Like, I was too old for that. Even at that time, I was probably like 27 or something. But um, I was like, oh, wow, these guys are like, I've seen them on MTV and shit. Like, these are the two like biggest bands on the planet right now. And like, we're like hanging out with them. And it's all like, no one's treating each other weird. Just all on like a cool level. And I used to go out into the crowd. Like after we played, I was like, I've got an all access pass and I'm going to use it. Like I'm the drummer in the opening band. Like I can walk around anywhere. No one's going to fucking know or care. I could go literally front of the stage be like, what's up, Billy Joe? Like, what's up? You know? <laughs> and uh, go back to the soundboard and watch from there. I did that a lot because it always like, you know, sounded the best from there. But I could literally walk anywhere I wanted to in an arena, which is like, how many people get to do that? You know what I mean? <laughs> just like at a show, just like watching Green Day, watching playing, like putting on awesome concerts for everybody. So I watched both bands like most nights. Um, So you guys are playing Furnace Fest on Sunday. What else is going on with American Nightmare? I mean, what it's... That's actually our next show for us. We did a tour just a couple months ago. Getting together for that tour we did was kind of awesome. It was great seeing guys and playing again. And now we got some demos of stuff floating around. And we were talking about trying to record and me, but the studio is not going to be ready. We got to push it back. Wes has some cold cave stuff. We got to navigate around. So hopefully sometime before Furnace Fest, we'll get together and at least be in the same room and demoing stuff. It's kind of where we're at right now. It's a little slow going for us. That's okay, dude. I have a few fan questions. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. So Adam Schultz asked about new American Nightmare music. You pretty much answered that, but it was a two-part question. Okay. So I might as well just ask his other question, which is an awesome one. Here goes. How did the writing process for the last American Nightmare LP go? Because it's insanely tight. And what were you listening to when the drum structure was being made for those songs? Okay. We'll do our writing process first. That one actually started quite a ways back, like longer than you would think. We didn't just like write it all at once and record the album and put it out um it might have even been like a couple of years before it came out but um we talked about like bands doing stuff remotely and we have the technology to like never see each other and create an album we don't work that way um the bulk of those songs are maybe half of them at least were written at a practice space i remember going out to la I mean, this was years ago at this point and uh just jamming sometimes it was me and Brian, our guitarist, uh, with Wes, just kind of like hashing through riffs and like recording like riff ideas, not quite worrying about song structure yet. And then uh, there's at least one time where I remember having the entire band there and writing stuff together that way. And just stuff happens so much faster that way because it's all immediate. Like, oh, hey, this is cool, but we should do this two less times, but then do like a pre-chorus and then the chorus or like have the intro be this long or, you know, stuff like that. And it's all immediate, which to me, it's like, I love the creativity that way and that's the way i like to write songs um the other half of that stuff was um like uh usually brian sending me like a riff or like a couple riffs and do, like demo stuff with like garage band and like a like a drum machine beat or something and then uh we'll kind of take it from there those songs tend to be mostly written but then you know a lot of times they'll need like a bridge or something or you know like a new drum beat could inspire the structure to be a little bit different um, and when I get demos of stuff with like a drum machine beat over it, I usually fucking hate it because it's annoying. Because like, I'm like I want to hear this with no drum riff, with no influence, so that I can just like create something new 
but then sometimes hearing someone else's drum beat will kind of make me think of something that I wouldn't have done or like, you know, play it that way and then add my own stuff. Cause like some stuff like, it's like, oh, I would never play it that way. And then I'll just change it. But like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I would never play it that way, but it's cool. Let me do it that way. And it kind of pulls me into another world. And then pretty much all across the board, there are no vocals to anything. It's music. And then Wes will come up with the the lyrics and um it's really interesting working with him i mentioned before that i like doing drum riffs which you know it's not like a guitar riff but you know some kind of repetitive catchy thing that the, the drums do or like sometimes like it'll be like a singular occurrence of a drum pattern which i do that kind of stuff because if you're doing pop music or music with tons of instrumentation you can have little elements change throughout the song like let's say like there's a verse that the verse is the same part that repeats there's like a verse and a chorus then another verse and a chorus like something like that you want the second chorus to be a little different from the first one in some way and if you're doing like pop music or something with a lot of instruments you add another little instrument or add like a like percussion element or like you know horns come in or something or something subtle but like different in like a rock band or a hardcore band situation like you don't have that luxury so that the little like things that are different usually have to come from the drummer where you play with a different dynamic or like you do the pattern slightly different on each like chorus or like you know you you have to think more in terms of songwriting when you're writing with less instrumentation going on as a drummer so i personally get into like that part of the songwriting which is weird to even call it songwriting because i'm not there like writing the riffs on guitar but like you know you can often spend just as much effort creating the drum part as anyone else does to any part and it definitely affects the songs but like it's not immediately uh, noticeable like you know people aren't like oh wow the, the drums are different on the song i don't think i would like it as much you know not even that way you know but anyways the thing with wes is that like when i do fills or like a beat in a certain way he will kind of sing around that and whenever i have music where there are vocals already there i will play around the vocals and where there's a gap like i was saying before about that like a symbol hit in american hearts like when there's little gaps that need something there there's not another instrument coming in so it's got to be the drum so i'll fill that stuff with some kind of like drum element and when you're writing songs on drums without hearing how the vocals are going to go you kind of have to make up what where the vocals are whatever do things that places that are appropriate and Wes just has this uncanny ability to like sing around what I do in this perfect way and I don't know if he does it intentionally or not or even without you know I don't know if he even thinks about it that much but it just fucking works every time and it's like amazing and so the vocals kind of come together that way and then uh to answer sort of the part b of that question um when we were uh recording it i I mean i don't remember what the hell i was listening to to be honest i really don't i was probably listening to a lot of um 70s disco funk stuff probably a lot of the band heat wave but um for the recording oh yeah so i i had hurt my rotator cuff um i really fucked it up and i could barely drum i could barely lift my arm and it was my snare arm the rotator cuff injury i couldn't lift it out sideways so like playing the snare it's not a lot of sideways even the tom fill i could kind of get up there a little bit doing a left-handed crash i had difficulty with so i recorded that whole album with that injury and because of the injury i had some time off from being able to play drums so i was like kind of like rusty and out of shape and had this injury and had to do that album and it really sucked i I don't know if i would have played differently but i might have played a little i mean songwriting wise i wouldn't have written differently or whatever but i might have played a little better (laughs) the way we record i mean we do all analog that album was i think me and brian our guitarist doing the drum tracks with a scratch guitar all the drum takes were complete takes of the song start to finish for each song there's no editing of any kind for the drums then we would layer on the guitar i think we did bass last because just josh was the last one to come up i love the bass sound on that record it's just the sound of his fucking amp he has an old ampeg v4 he's had it forever he's never done any maintenance on it still has the same tubes in it i think and so i've known him to have that 
for 20 years. We've been using it regularly for 20 years. It stays at my studio and I use it when people don't bring a bass amp or they don't bring something that sounds as good. I'll use that. So it gets a lot of use. Zero maintenance. It's like dead quiet and sounds fucking awesome. That's amazing. A um, few things in there. I mean, dude, that rotator cuff, that shit's no joke, man. I uh, Six years ago, a uh, snowboard injury, I broke the humeral head off my humerus. Wow. The, the way the... Or the How did you do the hat? Snowboarding. <laughs> I just, you just fell on it the wrong way? Yeah, yeah, dude. It was fucked up. Uh, and, and a few years prior to that, I broke my humerus in half in a lower spot, like right here. Um, so my left arm is trash, dude. Trash. Um, but if you look at the x-rays, the broken in half looks mm -hmm. more gruesome, but the, the breaking the humeral head off the humerus is way worse oh yeah yeah um, that's what I'm and i tore my rotator cuff at the same time yeah and the way the orthopedist put it like he's like you know like picture an ice cream cone the ice cream fell off the cone like you know right. he's like i hope you're not a diver or anything like i mean i'm not tall in the first place and like so when i'm bartending and i go to like slide someone a drink like i can't i can only go so far man it's oh, it's, wow. it's it's like you know i can barely depending on the situation like i can tell sometimes people think i'm being rude like if i'm slammed at the bar and i'm just two-handed slinging drinks like yeah i can only i just can only reach so far but that's wow. no joke man and that's like yeah i mean dude, here, here's what happened it, it, I mean, it's from like playing shows and stuff i think i had two back-to-back -back shows i had a show i think in la or somewhere i had to fly to with american nightmare then the day after that had a local boston show with uh my band ascend descend that i was doing at the time and then the day after that i flew to north carolina for uh christmas family vacation and just in that time span between playing drums hard and fast as i can to like loading gear i remember like putting like a bass cab on top of i mean a bass head on top of another bass head that was on a bass cab so reaching really high up with something really heavy remember like hitting extra hard on like that second show and then like all the flying and like carrying like drums and cymbals around an airport and everything and i uh my son was like a baby at the time i had like one of those front pack things on and uh my wife went up to like the ticket counter to deal with something and i ended up taking all of our bags so carrying the kid and like all the bags of the family walking around and i don't remember any point where just something snapped like that but i do remember going to put a bag up in the um storage in the, the airplane and being like wow my fucking arm is killing me and then uh, by the time we got to north carolina i could not move my arm more than like one inch away from my side like it just couldn't and the pain was like incredible and i couldn't move it and and like i had this like just like fantasy rock star moment where there was a family friend who was a doctor and um we were at this yacht club down there at the porch and i'm like having a drink and everyone's hanging out and like oh yeah uh, my doctor friend is coming he's bringing a cortisone shot for you to like get you back into playing condition because i think i had like other shows or maybe like the recording session was coming up or something and i was like worried i was like am i never gonna drum again like what the fuck is going on but he came and he's like hanging out and he's like yeah so you ready for that cortisone shot and i'm like yeah but like we're drinking like <laughs> and i'm thinking like that dude just had a drink with me he sets down his drink goes to his trunk gets the shot and just like jabs me and um he fucking missed because it didn't really do anything <laughs> but i guess it's hard to get like the right position but um i was like oh yeah this is like when like rockers have to like get back to the stadium tour they like get a rock doctor to like do this kind of shit you are like um, professional athletes just fucking bzz, yeah. get back in there you know right? what, though? i uh did some research when i got back i was like all right i need like like a pro athlete doctor a sports athlete and i was like all right fucking i want to go to the people that do the patriots or something you know like the the local like sports doctor guys and i looked them up they're all just like regular doctors too you can go to them and so i just like picked one that like looked like the best one and the lady that answered the phone was like oh yeah he can see you like probably next week no problem and i was like Fuck, yeah i'm gonna see like the guy that fixes tom brady's arm or whatever wow and then um she calls me back the next day yeah like your insurance is not in our network so we actually can't take you or you know unless you work something else out so i had to go to some other guy that wasn't the patriots dude but that that guy like he was like fascinated by the fact that i was a musician i was like 
like, yeah, this is like, I live and die by this, man. Like, this is like my lifelong passion, like career, whatever. Treated it super serious and then gave me the shot, got it in the right place. And that kind of set me on the path. Cause like, that doesn't fix it. It just like able to do some of the exercises to get back. Yeah. But um, I got to say, it was probably over a year before my arm felt right again. And it was like hovering at probably like between 80 and 90% healed for quite a few months. And then, I don't know, after like a year, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think the pain is gone. I think I, I can put my arm up again. Yeah. But I was still like having to drum and just like abusing it and two-part question okay. one is what would you like to improve upon like do you have any goals personally as a drummer like is there any maybe it's your, your fucking hi-hat maybe it's your kick <laughs> you know what i'm you know what i'm trying to say so maybe there's something specific that you would like to improve upon and then part b what's your pre-show uh routine you must have something to stretchers or whatever it might be well the pre-show routine is funny i used to kind of take pride in the fact that my pre-show routine was nothing doing fucking nothing walk on stage and play and i always thought it was funny watching drummers about to go on they're doing like paradiddles and like warming up and stuff like that and um i never felt like i needed that i would just be like hanging out and just down my drink or whatever like on tours where i'm playing like really fast thrashy hardcore music i always have to make sure i drink enough water before going on especially with american nightmare because there are no breaks for me in between the songs we're kind of filling up space with noise and i'm doing kind of like cymbal swells and things like that just keeping noise going so i can't just like let go with a hand and grab a drink usually so i have to hydrate before the set so like that has been my pre-stage ritual but after a lifetime of doing absolutely nothing and laughing at people doing paradiddles like ah, why are you wasting your time you know um which is fucking stupid because it's great doing that stuff but uh now i'm not warming up with like touching any drumsticks or anything like that but i will do some stretching before going on just you know i guess i'm getting a little bit older and i'm not at the stage where i need to do paradiddles before going on yet but um some stretching definitely helps because my hands will cramp up i play not unique but unlike a lot of drummers playing heavy music where instead of using my arms or like wrists i'm using my fingers so this like the muscle in here between the thumb and the index finger that will cramp up if i'm just going on there cold turkey so i'll do like stretches where i'm like gripping and stuff like that and that will make that first song be okay and i won't be dropping my sticks or whatever final question for me if you could give advice to you know a younger version of yourself or someone up and coming in in the scene what would it be man what comes to mind yeah like um it can be sort of vague enough to uh you know be for everybody but like me as a musician and from what i know my world like uh having whatever success i've had if you want to even call it that it's weird talking about shit that way there is no success but like um there are definitely a lot of points in my life especially early on where the easy thing to do would be oh stop playing music like oh go to college you know keep your mom happy keep your girlfriend happy or like uh you know do the normal thing the easy thing a lot of opportunity for that and every time i chose the harder thing where you give up any kind of normalcy or like the the shit you're supposed to do as a young person i gave all of that up to pursue my dream which was playing drums and bands and when i had the opportunities i always said yes even if it meant like oh then um you're not gonna have enough money to live in an apartment anymore so you're gonna be homeless for a little bit for like uh oh let's see do i buy food or do i buy drumsticks like i'll choose the drumsticks you know like that kind of shit like i always made the decision working towards the thing that appealed to me that i knew deep in my heart i wanted to be doing and i have zero regrets about anything and i think i would have a lot of regrets if i said no to stuff or or didn't have the ambition that i did uh if i can get really deep into it like um my my mother died of cancer years ago it was pretty quick but i had a lot of time to sit with her her death had a huge huge impact on me where i was someone that was just like like youthful guy 
guy, like never even thought about old age or getting old or like planning for the future or any of that shit. Lived very much in the moment pretty often. Never cared about like having like any kind of stability or anything. It was just like do music and like whatever happens with the rest of my life, let the chips fall where they may. Like just do what I want to do. You know, I was very much living like that. My mother, on the other hand, I don't think ended up being like a happy person and just like dwelled a lot on negative stuff she had some kind of like shitty things happen throughout her life a lot was like the divorce and where that left her single parent with two kids and uh no real means for a good job or anything and just watching her struggle through that and then also watching her work a shitty job that she did not like or care about it was just like a paycheck and then just come home and watch tv on the couch go to bed and that was her life and as a parent i kind of see a little bit from the other end where oh man like all of a sudden i gotta care for these two kids alone i gotta get a job all i can get is this shitty job and i'm exhausted when i come home my fucking wild kids are doing their homework or you know whatever like i'm exhausted i'm gonna eat dinner watch tv and go to bed like i kind of see it that way but like growing up i was like man like i want to get as far away from that as i can like that's not the person i want to be i don't want to be miserable i don't want to do nothing with my life and just sit on the couch you know and i think that kind of actively pushed me into pursuing a life that was the opposite of that even now like i don't watch tv i don't like sitting around i'm always doing stuff i hate doing nothing i had to kind of learn to relax and you know my wife kind of taught me to chill out sometimes i still mostly hate it but you know i've learned to try to get into it anyways like um i think my mother by example showed me what kind of life i didn't want to have and so i worked towards having some kind of alternative to that and music happened to be my kind of way out of that kind of mundane life i think and so aside from just like loving music and being a music lover the whole lifestyle of it the traveling and creating and kind of being able to be busy all the time kind of just like you know it has everything to offer me you know what i mean you know it, and when she did die i kind of looked at my own life for the first time like oh what if i died right now like kind of decisions have i made and like i didn't fucking regret anything i was like psyched i was like this is like validating me that i've been doing it right and living life on my own terms and doing kind of what i wanted to and making my life how i wanted it you know and um i think for anybody coming up you can't really listen to the outside influences that are kind of working against what's really in your heart and in your mind because i think people know what they want to do and sometimes from a very young age but i think the fact that a lot of it seems unattainable you never think you can get there you know and sometimes you need like the negative role model pushing the other way or like a positive role model but like you know if you can kind of kind of weed out bullshit and the bad advice and influences all right, dude. This is truly a, an honor talking to you, man. You're in Pineville. Thank you, man. You're, you'll always be a legend to me just for that. <laughs> Never mind all the other rat shit you've done. So let's close this out proper. Tell okay. me what you got going on. Anything you want to plug, man, whether it's the studio, American Nightmare, um, solo stuff, which, anything you got going on, dude. Yeah, I mean, I think you just did it for me there. But uh, <laughs> I can elaborate a little bit. Um, Please do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the studio has been a big thing for me recent years. Um, it's all analog studio mystic valley studio currently rebuilding it it's like better and bigger than ever so like i'm looking to reopen in june or july also probably will be working on an american nightmare record as the first thing that i do there so like there'll be that maybe next year sometime we tend to not be the quickest with stuff these days yeah chrome over brass um i mean i've been taking a break throughout all of covid it's funny i had a single come out on my drive home from the last american nightmare show as covid shut everything down and i have not felt creative pretty much since then so i've had i've been inactive with chrome over brass but um i'm looking to pick that up again especially now that um shows are starting to be a thing again or that are a thing now and um my other band blood horse we haven't played in years haven't put out anything in over a decade but um for no reason other than we've just been busy doing other stuff we're still friends we still love playing music together we have an album coming out as well kind of waiting on artwork for that which has been taking quite a while to do but um hoping that'll be out in 2022 maybe 23 i don't know but we've waited this long to get it done like another year is not gonna hurt us but i'm really excited about that and um musically i guess that's all i've 
really got going on right now. All right, so active projects. American Nightmare, Blood Horse, Chrome Over Brass, and then, of course, Mystic Valley Studio in Medford Kid. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I'll put the links to all this stuff in the description of the podcast episode, so that'll okay. be easy for people to find. Am I missing Great. anything else, dude? Um, I don't think so. I think that's, that's everything. Alex Garcia Rivera. Dude, this has been an honor and a pleasure. You're a fucking legend, brother. Thanks, man. This has been fun. Thank you. I don't think I can ever leave home again. I don't think I can ever leave home again. All right, let's wrap this one up, baby. Come out. Yes, Alex Garcia Rivera. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Now, thank you all so much for listening to the Two Week Notice podcast. If this is your first time, checking out the show. I really appreciate it. If you want to help me out, here's what you can do. This is super helpful. If you have an iPhone in particular, go to the little purple square that says podcasts. It's a podcasts app. All right. Type in my show, two week notice podcast. Make sure you're following it, subscribed, whatever they call it now. Right. And scroll all the way down and then give me a five star written review. I cannot tell you how helpful this is. I really appreciate it. If you don't have an iPhone, no worries. Just go to Spotify and hit me with five stars over there and make sure you're following it too or subscribed whatever you call it super helpful all right alex garcia rivera thank you so much until next time i love you all poise